As far back as the mid-1800s, progressive architects were chafing at classical revival styles that hid modern construction technology underneath facades of highly ornamental styles from previous eras. It took half a century or so for a style that emphasized minimalism over ornamentation to take root, and Ludwig Mies van der Rohe was one of the modernist movement's heroes, designing scores of famous buildings around the world that took on his skin-and-bones aesthetic. Mies also coined the aphorism, less is more, which applies to much more than architecture. Less is more is an aesthetic that musicians have embraced to various degrees as well. In the face of a digital age where production emphasized more compressed and louder music, there is a notable counter-movement away from the highly ornamental, multi-layered approach that fills every possible sonic nook and cranny. Instead of surrounding its audience with sound, in a way encouraging a live crowd to talk over the music and lose focus on what can seem like an unscalable wall of sound, it strips all of that down to its skin and bones, presenting you with an artist sketching their musical designs with only their voice and their instrument of choice. It's a music to lean into, with a decidedly analog, minimalist approach, which puts the essence of the song and the soul of the artist on full display, with no digital facades to disguise the structure underneath. Concerts with only a singer playing guitar might sound like they could not compete with a full band plugged in, decked out with lots of instruments and effects pedals and such, but it can be quite powerful, revealing the living, beating heart at the center of all music. It can also be refreshing to be at a show where the audience is more focused on listening to the songs and lyrics than looking at their devices and having loud conversations during the performance. I was reminded of this recently at Citizen Vinyl in Asheville, North Carolina, when Greg Cartwright, Wes Pierce, and Amanda Ann Platt, who sung The Road from her 2017 album is playing now, played an acoustic show ahead of their interview that night. We talked upstairs in the old WWNC radio station live performance room, celebrated for its less is more modernist architecture, clean lines, original light fixtures and floor, which still shows the scuff marks from performances by artists like Jimmy Rogers and Bill Monroe. Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is our episode on Greg Cartwright, Amanda Ann Platt, and Wes Pierce. I hope the road is good to you until then. I hope the road is good to you till then. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. This story begins with Citizen Vinyl, a combination vinyl pressing plant, recording studio, bar, and restaurant in downtown Asheville, North Carolina. 
in the old Citizen Times building built in the late 1930s and originally the home of two newspapers and the WWNC radio station. Wanting to host more events there, Citizen Vinyl reached out to Greg Cartwright, well-known for his work in his band Raining Sound. Greg then invited Amanda Ann Platt, who's been playing with her band The Honeycutters for more than a decade, and a relatively new artist in the Asheville scene, Wes Pierce. The three artists shared the stage on the ground floor of the three-story building in the open space between the bar, record shop, and pressing plant, and played from their existing catalog of songs, as well as many brand new songs that have not yet had their chance to make it into the adjacent room to be pressed into discs. The audience was quiet and attentive, and while Amanda, Greg, and Wes played, the rest of the world receded to the background as everyone focused on the trio, who took turns playing their songs on acoustic guitar. The experience struck me as being quite romantic with the poetry of lyrics and elegance of melodies pairing with the voices of each artist and ample room for all three to talk about their lives and music. After the show, we went upstairs to the old WWNC live broadcast room and I asked them if they felt that same air of romance about the event. Here's Wes Pierce, followed by Greg Cartwright and Amanda Ann Platt. Absolutely, I think... uh more than a little bit of it comes from being an obsessive about any and all things, whether it's, you know, um, collecting records or it's, you know, listening to music or it's any other parts of my lifetime. Um, I'm either in or I'm not. And in that, that space of songwriting, it's, it's absolutely got to be like, that's the emotion. That's the place, you know, that's a great way to put it actually. Yeah. I, I totally identify with that. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm an obsessive person, and communicating with other people uh, through vulnerability and um, emotional type of music, like even to the point, and I think we were talking about this earlier. I know I was talking about it with Amanda a little bit. Um, one of my first loves with record collecting was doo-wop music, vocal group music, and older guys turned me on to it. And explain to me uh, everything, like the idea with like a, a do up 45. One side is the jump side, right? Like that's the party. The other side is a lot of people think, oh, that's kind of the sappy ballad or whatever. It's there so you can kind of, someone's crooning and you play that while you're trying to make out with your girlfriend or whatever. But that's not it at all. That's there to help you cry. And so that element of like music that is there to help you cry is something that I very much identify with. Um, and that always resonated with me in a big way. And so whether it's romantic or, um, yeah, I guess romantic is probably the best way to, to describe it. But definitely they're almost as a utilitarian uh, thing to help someone get to an emotion that's hard to process and hard to reach. Hmm. Yeah. And I was I was saying to Greg before, I've, I've been taking some voice lessons and my voice teacher was telling me that um, the the same part of our brain that uh, is like the fight or flight part of our brain. I'm 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 going to butcher this. I'm, I have no no <laughs> I have no medical knowledge. So <laughs> this is going to be extremely vague. <laughs> I'm sorry, Paul. Um, but the uh, it's uh, the same part of our brain that um, our, like makes our vocal cords go so it's kind of like the the same you know all of our early sounds came from like 
you know, the need to express things to other people because we're in, you know, a situation where we need to express things. And I like thinking about that now because I think about sort of the, the urgency and the necessity of communicating through song. You know, it's not just, it's not just something that we do because it <clears throat> fills time or because, you know, it's, it might be pretty or fun. Like it's, there's a, a real need to urgency. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's that that really resonates. So don't use your precious time. That's the song Burden by Wes Pierce from his new EP titled Death and Darlings, a song that Wes played solo the night of the show with this recorded version prominently featuring an organ in the mix of instruments. I learned during the course of our interview that the organ comes from his love of swamp hop in New Orleans luminaries like Jimmy Donnelly, which was a pleasant surprise. With their live show fresh in mind, I asked about the live scene in Asheville in the wake of COVID-19, noting that everything feels different now. While we were in the shutdown, everyone wished we could get back to the way things were before, and now we can see that there will never be a before time again. Here's Greg Cartwright. You can never go home. Yeah, I think that's you. You nailed it. <laughs> that's. I I okay. I have um, this very limited experience, or rather, this like small little like niche of experience. I. I've been booking uh, a country night at the Double Crown called Western Wednesdays for five, six years, something like that now. Um, somebody checked me on that. Uh, and we started out, nobody really wanted to hang out. We were like $5. I would cook some chili, some cornbread. <laughs> We'd, maybe some friends would show up and like see a killer country band, like some friends from out of town, from New Orleans or elsewhere, that I'm like, I'm in love with their music. Um, and it built a little bit, you know, and it was worth continuing to do for the bar and for bands. And then after the pandemic, something happened where people were just down to party for the country music. <laughs> they just, it's like, so true. It blew up. Like, I, I, and, I, and so I only have that, like, I'll, I'll try to set up a songwriter show. Like, typically, I've, uh, I set up most of my own shows that I'll, that I'll sing at and man, I'll put flyers around town, like all different sides of town, you know, uh, the Instagram, all that kind of stuff. I'll do everything that I know within my power to do, which used to work pretty well to just get stra uh, strangers, you know, like to be like, oh, that looks like a cool show, like, because uh, I saw the flyer. It doesn't seem to matter much um, anymore. And 
in regards to those things in my personal experience. And then this happens. And it's like, boom, people want to party at that. And I'm like, whoa, like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I did anything special. I think it's more like a, a social and environmental thing. And I don't have a great insight on it as much as I've seen it, hmm. which is cool. And almost backwards, I think, from what a lot of people described to me. Is that Wednesdays or Thursdays? Wednesdays. Yeah. And so, Brody and I used to do the mm-hmm. country night. That's right. And we would spend country records, and it would be empty. It was empty, and we did it for years. Yeah. And it was just so hard to get anybody in there to listen to country music. And my son was telling me, this was about a, maybe a year ago or so, and he was like, do you want to go over and uh, do country night at Double Crown? It's like, yeah, that'd be fun. And we went over, and it was it was just popping off in there. It was crazy. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, I was thrilled in a way. I was like, yeah. it's finally it coming to its been. own. Like, people are into it. I mean, it. y'all were probably doing that, like, at least a few years before I would have, like, started booking into music, right? And yeah, no, we were, Brody and I were doing it. And then I couldn't do it anymore. We handed it off to Dave Gay. Right. He did it for a while. Mm-hmm. And so, but yeah, I mean, I wonder, I wonder. I, I literally, that night when I came and there were so many people there and everybody was just having a great time. And I was like, wow, what created this momentum? The weirdest thing is I stopped flyering and only posted on Instagram. And oh, that's what it is. Like, <laughs> the Instagram Bam, I think we have our answer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, forget all the other words you've ever learned. <laughs> Make one on post Instagram. a week with like little description and, and you're golden. <laughs> but I think also there's like a, a thing that happens, and you see this happen with bands all the time of like, you reach critical mass of like enough people know about something that it becomes a thing. Yeah. And I feel, I don't think I've, I think I've only been ever to one Western Wednesday and it was really packed. And I remember just knowing that it was like a thing that was, you know, people were like, it was a scene is what right. it, it's a yeah. scene. And yeah. that's, I feel like that's, so it becomes almost not that it's not about the music and the band. Like obviously that's the, you know, the driving force, but it, it is a scene where people are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to that. I'm I want to be part, part of that. that. I want to be part of that. Yep. Right. And so I, and I feel like that is not like a standalone thing. There is definitely, I, f- I feel like, especially like right as things were kind of opening up from the pandemic, like the first shows that we were allowed to play in like 2021, you know, those, the energy was like palpable. People were like, yeah. I can't wait to get out and hear some live music. I can't believe I'm in a bar. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> Joe, the last time I talked to you was that Skunk Fest 2021. Oh, that's memorable because and the mask mandate came been, down right. that weekend. Because <clears throat> wow. the vaccine was out and the mask mandate was gone. It was like that day. And we showed up and no one was wearing masks and everyone was just like drunk on oxygen. <laughs> 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 and, and that, I mean, that was amazing. The energy that night was incredible. And, you know, I think there is some of that. Of just people, you know, having realized during the pandemic how much they missed that social element and the experience of live music for all the things we talked about with the urgency of of sharing a song and that, you know, group emotional experience. I think that people realized how much they missed that, you know, in the pandemic. I don't know. I You know, I don't know that I've seen personally that it like that sort of rush of excitement has stayed. But I feel like there's more of a maybe there's more of like a consciousness and a, and a gratitude both from audience members and from bands you know i think we're all sort of like there's like a reverence of like oh yeah we still get to do this yeah we're doing this again this is good i don't really know what the numbers are but it just feels like that 
there's it's it's just become too easy to stay home because you were forced to be home during that that time and i wonder if there's that the sort of that latency or that lag of 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 people that just haven't quite plugged in again mm-hmm. have you witnessed anything like that I mean, for me personally, I know it's a lot easier to not do something than to do something. Um, I also have a three-year-old. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, I guess, because there's so many things that affect numbers it shows. You know, I don't know if I could speak to necessarily the reasons that people would or would not come out to something. Yeah, I think it was kind of tricky just getting re-engaged. I think that the isolationism of the pandemic like as much as you were missing everything that the world the way it used to be you were recalibrating yourself for another reality which was isolation and so i think as much as it's exciting when the possibility comes that you can leave your cell the cell is safe like so i think it's kind of like that's a tricky thing like re-engaging with other people. And also it was like it dovetailed with the emergence of online culture. Not that it wasn't there for many years before, but it's become very intense now. People's, uh, how much time they spend online and everything. And so I think that when that becomes the way that you socially engage, moving back to the way you used to socially engage is maybe anxiety inducing in a way, Mm. you know. So that's kind of tricky, too. Where you are, I can see your face at all. There's no trace of your perfume in my room. It's all I hear and think of you. All the stains your polish cannot change upon each broken part of my heart is the wear and tear of many years and it feels much later than before One of Raining Sound's most popular songs, the live version of Never Coming Home from their latest album, Memphis in June. Greg Cartwright pulled together the original lineup of the band together for this collection, recorded in his former hometown at the Harbortown Amphitheater, overlooking the Mississippi River. When he's not making music in Raining Sound or his brand new project, Hypos, with now Western North Carolina resident and founding member of Dr. Dog, Scott McMicken, Greg is a music archivist and rare vinyl expert. I asked him what is driving the recently newfound widespread interest in collecting records. It's interesting because it changed. Like I think that there was a lot of traction for for a resurgence of people of the mainstream being interested in records again, like probably 
about 10 years ago and started to really pick back up. At that time, the real high end of records was 45s and 78s for very specialized collectors and DJs who were really buying them so that they could play them or sample them. And uh, small label 45s and stuff are much harder to find so that the real high end value was in those items because they're, uh, they're more rarefied than a mass produced LP. Like so if a small group in a small town pressed 100 of something and it's good, it's really good and it's super rare. So that's that's the pinnacle of demand, right? Like it's there's a demand and it's hard and it's impossible to find. So that just drives prices for that thing, something like that way up. Whereas LPs that were manufactured by capital, like the Beatles, like the greatest selling artists of all time, those things are pretty common actually. There's a demand for them because everybody loves it, but they're not hard to find. So they're not really, most of them are not that valuable. But then when the pandemic happened, it flipped that paradigm because the DJs and archivists that were paying astronomical amounts for really rare 45s that were really good, um, that kind of, those people didn't have the income anymore to purchase those things. Because during the pandemic, you couldn't do your, you couldn't DJ to 4,000 people. You couldn't do all those kind of things started to dry up. So the money that was driving that started to disappear. And in its place, what happened is the mainstream of people who were just discovering LPs for the first time or discovering records, well, they want LPs because now that you're stuck in your house 24 hours a day. It's the pandemic and you can't go anywhere and you're folding laundry and you can't be spinning one song at a time. You need LPs. So that really, the LP market just really soared during that time, uh, whether it was used LPs or brand new LPs. And that was kind of interesting to see as someone who's really into records, like just kind of seeing that dynamic change so drastically and going from something a market where the highest prices were being paid for these rare things that were on either 45s or 78s going to people paying really astronomical amounts for LPs who aren't even archivists. They're just people. So you're saying that people would actually play these rare 45s in a public setting? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people. Um, and maybe not so much in – I did and like – partners of mine like Whitney uh, Schroyer or uh, Brody Hunt, who we're friends with. Uh, I mean, the idea is like, of course, it's wonderful to find all these things, but really what you want to do is play them for people. So whether that's on a radio show or to a big crowd of people who are just come to dance for a dance party, mm -hmm. that was definitely part of the part of what was going on that was driving that market. And that just kind of dried up over the pandemic because those people couldn't really do that. So it just, that kind of tanked. But then, you know, all of a sudden, people who had never bought a record in their life were ready to pay, you know, top dollar for a great clean copy of Rumors, you know, <laughs> like, which is odd. That used to be a dollar record. Now it's like a, a $40 record. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I think also, I mean, my, my coming at this not from any sort of archivist, you know, background or real 
real knowledge of <laughs> of um, LPs or 45s. But I think that what I've seen too is with um, you know everything becoming like online and streaming and you know, the, we've sort of gotten really far away from this physical product. I mean, we all joke, it's like no one buys CDs anymore, but really not a lot of people buy CDs anymore. <laughs> um, and so I think that like having, there's almost, it's almost like coming back around. It's like, oh, well, if you want a physical product, you're not going to, you know, the CD is, is less alluring now. Um, but the, you know, if you want a physical thing, then, then the vinyl is kind of the way to go. I think that's why more bands are getting vinyl printed up and, um, it's you know it sounds better and it's it's more of an experience you know i think people are wanting that experience it's exciting the yeah definitely the format of the lp is exciting you open it you know it's like i mean we all have that kind of memory of with the lps where it's like it's this big picture there's the band i'm turning it over i'm reading it i'm reading it again i'm trying to glean every piece of information i can about this artist while i listen to it it's creating this image in my mind of who these people are and what their story is and the 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 lp is a really fantastic delivery system for that very reason it's like it's kind of like a little world that you can get into cds are great too and the online platform of streaming and stuff is also really cool. That kind of like the promise of the online world when it first came along to stream music was that it would be the great leveler, is that like everybody will be able to put their music. You will be on an even playing field with every major artist ever. And in some ways that's very true. And in a lot of ways that's the downfall of it is actually that there are just so many, so much, and you don't know what to choose because it's all level. Um, so like kind of the LP is the fun thing about it is like, okay, well, this is not just this anonymous other track or something to stream. It's like this is someone has gone to a lot of trouble to make this package and like kind of tell me a story and wrap it all up in a bow you know mm -hmm. it's kind of fun yeah this didn't just like pop up on from the algorithm or yeah whatever. exactly <laughs> i made a choice to buy this <laughs> yeah and i and i'm going deep with this artist at least 12 songs let's talk a little bit about what it's like for artists independent artists like yourselves now we touched on how different everything was with vinyl before the pandemic and after what's it really like nowadays say before and after can you compare and contrast I could start with a newbie's perspective coming into it. Um, I find that every little piece is monetized, you know, um, mm. which I don't know that it, it loses any of the excitement for me, but it, it's, it's definitely eye opening in a way that can feel very overwhelming where like, whether it's, you know, pricing a sleeve for a record or it's just like trying to get your song onto a playlist or anything you know that's all monetized in, in this really crazy big way that uh again just becomes very overwhelming and i don't have the maturity in there to understand necessarily like what's worth my time or not right um, I imagine these two though could could probably speak a little bit more to like, you know what what things have have worked or haven't worked. At this point, I'm I'm just throwing stuff at the wall, and I like records. All I want is to be on a little vinyl record. That's incredible. I'm like, I'll save up. 
<laughs> that's, a, that's a really great point, Wes, because that is the thing is that in the 80s, when I first started playing in bands and making records, records were on the way out, which was great for me right. in the sense that the mainstream didn't want to make them anymore. There were still lots of record pressing plants. So you could get turnaround time for record was quick and it was cheap. So it was just you could easily print up a, an EP 45 or a record or whatever, and that was like a, a your calling card. You could make them. It was really there was you know you you went to your friend's copy shop and xeroxed a bunch of covers and and you know sent the master tape off and and in a couple of weeks you had a record and and you could use that to get gigs. That was your demo. You know if I mean it might not you weren't being commercially distributed by anyone but it was it could get you gigs and at the gigs you could sell those and so it was great and now it's much more complicated because the mainstream and the major labels also are vying for that space in the queue to have a record pressed so the turnaround time is like nine months mm -hmm. so like that's crazy you know so that totally changes the dynamic whereas like when i was doing it the mainstream had left it so it was punk rock bands and indie bands and people outside the mainstream that were utilizing the records and and that was great it was like it was technology that had been left behind that we could use but now that other people want to use it and you want to get your punk rock ep or your your country ep pressed up well mariah carey also has to get her record <laughs> pressed up and you have to vie for that same space and that has definitely changed things the price has gone up because of that because there was that you know like the mainstream didn't want the records then it was cheap cheap to make them and that that's changed completely like you were saying like pricing out getting the jackets made and getting the records pressed and having the records plated and mastered all of that factors into it now and it's a much more expensive process hmm. also say no no shade mc like keep singing yeah exactly right yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah no. not no 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 shade at all we won't, we won't slow it down just saying it's a level playing field it's me and you mariah yeah yeah <laughs> we're coming for you mariah. Oh, yeah. i'm coming for you <laughs> That's our show. Thanks for hanging out with us. We're so grateful when you tell someone about the series, and it's easy to follow us on your podcast platform of choice, where it'll only take a minute to give us a great rating and where it's an option or review. 
This series is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. With all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com, you can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Gar Ragland and everybody at Citizen Vinyl for helping set up this interview for the great performance from our artists. Also thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it.